You're listening to an ACA podcast. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations as sovereign custodians of the land on which we meet this evening. I extend my respects to ancestors, elders past and present and emerging, and to all First Nations people here tonight for this conversation. My name is Miriam Kelly. I am a curator here at ACA and part-time tech. <laughs> um, and tonight's program is in association with ACA's current exhibition, which I have curated uh, with six amazing artists who have created immersive installations that explore material and digital worlds of our past, present, and speculative futures. These installations are populated by characters and conceptualizations that are at once real and fictive and inherently performative. And indeed, some of the works which are presented have been activated by live performance and will be tomorrow and Saturday as well. The work of the six artists in feedback loops is largely informed by aesthetics of technologies uh, that have emerged over the lifetimes of the artists, as well as ethics of new materialist interests or philosophies that decenter the human and encourage consideration of relations uh, and the potential for empathy, empathies across human and non-human forms. That was a <laughs> rapid introduction to the exhibition, but it's my pleasure tonight to introduce uh, one of the artists, um, um, Justin Shoulder, uh, in conversation with uh, Kate Bentovum. Uh, Justin Shoulder, also known as Fazma Hammer, is an ex uh, will perform in the gallery uh, space itself within his installation uh, tomorrow night and on Saturday uh, as the character Carry On. A Sydney-based artist, Justin works primarily in performance, sculpture and collective events. Justin completed undergraduate studies in digital media and then received a Master's of Fine Arts from the University of New South Wales and Art and Design. Uh, and he was, uh, they were recipient, sorry, and was a recipient of postgraduate scholarship. Justin is increasingly making waves internationally, having undertaken residencies in Paris, the United States of America, uh, Taiwan, the Philippines, uh, and having recently toured the major club and theatre-based project of Carry On, of which this ACA presentation is, uh, and installation of performance is, has its genesis. Uh, Justin will also be presenting new work at the 22nd Biennale of Sydney, Niren, curated by Brooke Andrew, which launches, launches next month. Kate Bentovum has over 20 years of experience in the cultural sector and has worked with major festivals and artists across the world, living and working in Indonesia, India, Papua New Guinea, China, United Kingdom and across Australia. Kate is the founder of the independent uh, cultural agency Turning World and is currently associate director of the Asia Pacific Triennial of Performing Arts or Asia Topa, which is taking place as we speak across uh, Melbourne in a dispersed program, uh, in addition to the core events that are taking place at our neighbours up the road at the Arts Centre all the way through March, February and March. It's my pleasure to welcome you both and thank you for your patience with mm -hmm. our tech um, and I really look forward to your conversation. Thanks, Miriam. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Miriam. Hannah. Hey, everyone. Um, so great to see you here. Thanks for um, taking the time out to um, come and be part of this conversation. Um, I've been really looking forward to this for, for quite a while. Um, my name's Kate Bentovum. I'm the Associate Director of Asia Topa, and I'd also uh, like to acknowledge that this conversation takes place on the lands of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to Elders past, present and future. Um, I'm really thrilled today to be in conversation with Justin Shoulder, um, apart from the fact that um, his work is amazing and the themes in his work are so interesting and relevant. Um, it's also, I have to say, a thrill to turn my phone off and talk about 
art for an hour because uh, as associate director of a festival that is really just picking up speed now, uh, most of my time seems to be taken up with freight delays and visa dramas and all of those other things which are not about art. So it's really great to be able to pause and, and speak about why we do it. Um, Justin is a featured artist in the exhibition um, here at ACCA Feedback Loops, which I hope you have all um, had the opportunity to see or will see, curated by ACCA's very own Miriam, um, fantastic curator and part-time tech. Everyone wants that on their resume, I think. Um, as well as it being a stunning exhibition, um, it was actually really the official kickoff for our Asiatopa Festival um, in December when it opened. Um, and I remember when I walked through it at the time, actually, and I've reflected on a couple of times since, it feels like there's a number of themes and, I guess, continuing preoccupations that have been raised in this, this exhibition, which we're really seeing um, again and again through the Asiatopa Festival. And that feels like such a fitting way to open the festival and is such a beautiful frame um, for a number of the artists in the festival. Um, these ideas of artists drawing on imagined worlds that um, uh, draw heavily on mythology and ritual. These are very strong themes across a number of artists' work in the festival. Um, flowing on from this, I guess, artists who are um, thinking deeply about the environment and their place in the environment, and I think more urgently and politically, um, uh, a lament and a, a really kind of fierce um, statement about our place in the destruction of the environment, and that certainly feels like that has taken on a potency and an urgency in the last few months. We might chat about that in a minute. Um, and then also I think we see in a number of the artists a really kind of easy and everyday interplay between the digital and the live world, um, particularly um, with younger artists in the program. I definitely put you in that category, Justin. <laughs> um, and certainly artists who have been very heavily influenced by their own interest in gaming or their kind of very sort of easy, fluid life lived between an online and a real space. So I think we've seen that um, definitely in a number of the artists in Feedback Loops and very much in a number of the artists in Asia Topa. So it feels like these are some themes that are strongly represented in the program and feel strongly represented in your um, own work, Justin. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's perhaps a little introduction and maybe um, I'll start with a direct question really to you, Justin, yes. which okay. is about the world of Carry On, mm. which is the world you are asking the audience to absorb in the installation and then we'll be taking them further into for the performance. So talk to us a little bit about that world and what drives it and what the impulses are. Sure. Um, so Carrion, I guess I came up with the name Carrion because Carrion means the kind of decaying flesh that creatures like vultures and other bacteria consume. Um, the seed of the work really came from a club work I did, which was in, gosh, like three years ago. A lot of my work comes from these spaces. Um, and I was reflecting on the fury and sadness and all the kind of feelings I was having relating to um, feeling both uh, helpless, but also um, contributing to the, the kind of climate change, and, you know, all the things. Um, I also run an event called Monster Gras. Monster Gras is kind of like an alternative queer um, event held at the same time as Mardi Gras in Sydney. Um, and we had a theme called Hexathon relating to cyborgs and um, the post-human, but it was essentially a costume ball. And I found this mask, um, which is basically 
I didn't find it. Actually, it's it's a vac form of my face. Um, so it's a copy of my face, which Is that that one? yeah, it's the white mask. Was which it's funny because I don't always intellectualize things. It's often quite organic, um, and I was very drawn to the mask, kind of as a as a death mask. I found the chords. I was like, oh, this is, this is like Medusa, a kind of contemporary Medusa. Um, and there was this kind of horror in this mask that I could puppet, so I could inhabit it and become this kind of um, marionette, you know? And I've been working in lip sync for a long time as well. So it was like, okay, I bring this kind of uh, marionette mask, I can do a lip sync and combine this kind of uh, uh, machine body gestural language with this kind of like very camp pageantry language um, and that was kind of the seed um, and from there the work really built over time uh, so here this is me with my pet electronic bird um, it's funny I I have two pet parrots as well um, called monkey and rocket they are monk parrots um, and I've had them for the past two years. They free fly around our house in Sydney. Um, and I've been building a relationship to them, um, both through, my partner always hates it, but I feed them in the morning out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> and I, f I feed them. I, I, have, I have a toddler, it's really similar. <laughs> it's gross, the kind of things you do. I, I, it all makes sense, oh, this is gonna create the link. Um, mm -hmm. So I, usually when I eat my muesli, I'm kind of feeding little bit, bits of oats out of my mouth, into their mouths. Um, and so over time, we've built this kind of interspecies language. Um, I can communicate to them through these kind of different sounds, which they mimic. Um, they know, I don't know, there's this kind of, I don't know how to describe it, but there's definitely this, this kind of empathy. Um, and it made me think a lot about birds as descendant from dinosaurs and thinking about evolution and what, what, um, what, what survives and what doesn't survive. And so essentially carrion is about a figure trying to survive and in the theatre work, all the elements that exist in the environment I, are the only things that I can use to survive as this figure. So, Carrion's not necessarily just this cyborg figure, but it's the, all the becomings that happen within the work. So it, it opens actually with a representation of a tardigrade. A tardigrade's kind of like a, a microscopic phylum. It's one of the few organisms that can um, survive both extreme heat and extreme cold. And so it became this kind of like, uh, queer icon for me of um, survival. <laughs> um, and so in the work, there's, there's all these becomings be between microscopic organisms and, and environments, and it's, 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 it's kind of like this, um, it's like, it's about adaptation. So it's, I can only, both through the ideas, but also through the performance, uh, ecology, me, it's, how do I say it, it's like, because I can only survive and perform with the objects in the space, that is the, yeah, the, the, the kind of survival and adaptation. Um, 
Yeah. And the carry-on is, is more... Your practice is kind of an episodic practice, mm -hmm. isn't it? It's a sort of a constantly evolving... Yeah. It's not one character or one work you make mm. and then put away, but it yeah. feels like it's a, a constant building of ideas. Totally. Is, that, so, is that how you see it? So it's funny. So I've just started trying this out, calling myself Phasma Hammer, even though it's like... This is my Instagram handle. Um, actually, Phasma Hammer came when I was doing my Masters and, you know... Even though I have a university education, I had a really great supervisor, Gary Carsley, um, who really encouraged me to think pretty laterally about my paper. And so I submitted my paper as a beastry. And I was trying to think of a term for the beastry. Um, phasma. Beastry is a group of creatures. So beastry is like a. It's kind of like an old classification system mm. for mythical beings. Mm. Um, phasma comes from the Greek spirit. And Hammer was kind of like the Wunderkammer, so it's like this cabinet of spirits. Um, I've been performing for maybe 11 years, this body of work, um, of which Karin is one figure. There's about 15, maybe there's like 16 different figures in this universe. Um, and they all originated mostly in like club and cabaret spaces, and then over time they've kind of like gone into this. Um, much more, not formalized structures, but like more durational structures like the theater. Um, so yeah, these, these ideas ever since the beginning, it's kind of, it's about how I go deeper or elaborate things with duration. And carrying is the first time I've really, I've spent like three years, just mm. keep going further and deeper and do it in a club, do it in a theater, do it in a gallery. There's, there's like maybe like three or four hours worth of, yeah, material. of material, yeah. And I guess with a, a work or a character or a world that continues to evolve, it also, I assume, gives you the opportunity to, to respond and reflect on what's changing in your life, what's changing mm. in the bigger world. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, that's the amazing thing about an evolving yep. work. Can I ask how, obviously, you installed the, um, the piece that's in the gallery in December, yep. um, and you're performing now in, uh, where are we, middle of February. Um, it's been a, you know, it's a, been a very intense mm. couple of months, certainly. Yep. Um, certainly, if you think about the themes that you're thinking about, environmental devastation, and I've heard you, sp oh, I've, written, I've seen you speak before about your work reflecting the horror of our time in some way. So. Yep. Do you feel like, um, you know, is your work able to adapt in that moment to what's happening? It, and it's, how has it felt? Oh, totally. Actually, um, because there's so many different little pieces or vignettes that I can remix into different orders, um, I had a particular structure that I had envisioned for this space. Mm -hmm. um, and when we tested it out, it just felt so wrong. It was very, it was too meditative. Um, and it's this funny thing where sometimes when I'm invited into an institution, I become too serious and I forget, like... <laughs> we all do, it's okay. <laughs> like, where are my roots? I'm a clown, you know? Like, people, I think, respond to my work and they respond to the humour or the absurdity and the meeting of that with the criticality, hopefully. <laughs> um, and so, actually, it's funny. I've been talking... I have a mentor, Victoria Hunt, who I've been working with for the last 10 years. Um, she's a body weather... I mean, we've been training for a long time in body weather. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been talking a lot about what kind of work we want to make now. And it's, it's a lot around the medicinal. So it's like, mm -hmm. how do we, you know, like if the, 
the world feels like an assault, how do you create a space for a escape or like mm -hmm. a, a moment to, to, to rest? Um, however, <laughs> if you're coming on Thursday, it's pretty turbo. <laughs> it won't be a moment to rest. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely a tra trajectory between something quite inviting and open and then these very like presentational, I think humor mm -hmm. um, and being able to, it's, it's not laughing at what the horror, but it's kind of like humor as a coping mechanism yeah. and, and to ask questions. And I think that's also a pretty queer strategy. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, we've got a, um, an artist, an Indonesian artist, Garden Negroho, who is pre presenting a big performance work on Friday and Saturday, and it's called The Planet, A Lament, and it is, as he talks about, a lament for both the immediate devastation of environment in Australia, also in Indonesia, he's an Indonesian artist and in the region, but also he talks about needing a space for reflection, both for sadness and for enlightenment, and, you know, how do we find a pause in our lives to go into a deeper space to think about our relationship and, and how do we project forward in a positive way? Sounds, is, does that have some resonance? Oh, totally. Also? It's funny because I think a lot of people might look at Karen and, and there's a lot of like reviews. It's like, oh, it's an apocalyptic, la apocalyptic mm. landscape. Mm. But actually, to me, there's a lot of hope in there because it's a figure that ultimately survives by becoming kindred with the natural world. So it's a figure. I don't know if anyone's seen the theatre work, but I eventually I become this prehistoric bird. Um, there's all these kind of reiterations of this meeting between the prehistoric and the modern. Um, but it, it is a hopeful figure because it's a figure that actually is able to survive. Mm. It's not a human figure, but it, mm. it's, it is, yeah, it does. We have survived. Yeah. <laughs> it has survived. Um, I'm interested in um, certainly um, in the evolution of Carry On, um, it has taken form very much in a quite traditional theatre setting, you know, as a show, a 70-minute show in the dark with an audience. I'm interested in, I guess, for you who's come obviously from a club-based practice, um, then I assume more into a kind of um, art gallery duration, which enables you to be a little bit more durational, and now you're taking this world very much into a, into a show, you're making it into a show, which has a whole other set of uh, relationship with audience and narrative and arc. Um, how, what process did you go through um, to do that? Um, how did you find the work needed to shift? Um, did you enjoy it? No, I love it. Do you love it? Do you love, do you love um, people sitting in the dark quietly <laughs> watching you? <laughs> the, the great thing about theatre is it offers you the potential to do something quieter because in the club, you know, I often talk about my nine-minute formula. The nine-minute formula is like how do you use... Um, how do you capture the senses through affect in a nightclub to draw people in? So I, I have all these kind of strategies um, working with sound and spectacle um, and that's the kind of format I've been working with for a really long time. It's also a great way for me to tour, like I have all these suitcase shows. Mm -hmm. um, Smart. Always tour with a yeah. small, small set. <laughs> but with the theatre, you know, the main provocation for Carrion was, you know, for so long I've been working with costume as a primary mode of transformation and um, very uh, elaborate, uh, fully cloaked figures. And I was very interested in how I could use the body as the primary site for transformation. So I had to, you know, I'm not, I wasn't particularly confident as a dancer three years ago. 
Um, and working with my mentor, Victoria Hunt, we spent a lot of time training mm -hmm. um, how I can bring electricity in my fingertips, you know, like how I can, within body, whether there's a lot of like emptying the form and then bringing in particular uh, weather states or, I don't know, it could be hot magma in your toes, you know, and that generates mm -hmm. the gestural ecology. Um, so I threw that to I threw that down as my kind of like challenge, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, the theatre is great because people are held, and and I'm really interested both in traditional theatre convention, but also breaking that. Um, you know, I I did another extended work for Next Wave Festival in 2015 called The River Eats, and that was that bridging of the club and the mm -hmm. theatre, but it was very much like. There was, there was this kind of like um, rotating door like this and then I'd have a costume and then I'd go behind the door, get changed and I'd come out again. It was very like that kind of presentational cabaret based language. Yeah. For Carrie, you see everything yeah. and it's really about... It's quite an open stage, isn't it? Yeah, witnessing the transformation as well as all the... Um, those kind of liminal states and all the, every piece is part of the theatre of it, yeah. Um, and you have a, mm. an, a small number of collaborators that you work with and have worked with for a very long time. Matthew, in terms of costume. Corinne, I understand you've worked with quite a bit. Yeah. Might be here. Um, is that, I guess, part of a bigger collective practice? Is that, you know, a, yeah, a bigger part of the way that you work? Or is that just a, a small group of people that, you know, you always go to? Or how does that kind of collectivism work? I mean, my art and my life are so intertwined, so... <laughs> I really I started performing because of my partner Matt. So we met on the night we met on the dance floor at Club Seventy Seven in Sydney at a party called Pengang, um, and we began our creative relationship pretty fast. Um, I often talk about the nightclub as my education. He was part of a particular collective um, that was doing a lot of cabaret types of events at 34B. It was like when Cabaret was pretty, yeah. it was kind of like the end of, I mean, Cabaret still happens, but mm. it was like the end of that really overtly political Cabaret Quite in Sydney. Counterculture. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's kind of coming up again. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's where I got my bearings in that space. And he, I had these ideas about making these costumes and he would always be like, oh, what if you tried this? Or, mm. And I also have a shared studio space. Mm -hmm. We've been working together ever since, and sometimes I make things by myself, sometimes on more complex things that I don't really know about. So one of the costumes in Carrion is an inflatable figure, so I, I share a space with people who work with electronics, so we kind of like just test things out, and it's a lot of very like DIY electronic yeah. stuff. Um, could have got you to, to, you know, to yeah. fix the tech there. You didn't reveal that one. <laughs> um, so he's a very key collaborator. Um, Corinne and me have been working together for like four or five years, do you think? <laughs> Fact check, Corinne. <laughs> but similarly, like I feel like all the collaborations happen because concurrently I also create a lot of events in Sydney. So I've got a, um, another collective called Club Arte with Benji Ra and, and with Matt we do Monster Grand Pink Bubble. And, and I, I always say that the seeds for all the performances and the costumes come from these events because they, they always only happen because it's, a, it's in the kind of collective space. Mm -hmm.
Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and Victoria Hunt, so I've been working with her more focused for the last three years. On the um, body practice, more specifically. Body-based practice, yeah. Um, and mm. you're still very active in, in the queer clubbing space, in the, I understand, a number of kind of um, running these events, very community-focused events. Can you tell me a little bit more about that Glitter Militia, um, you, the, um, some of the events you're running alongside yeah, Mardi Gras, for example? Totally. And I guess more broadly, yeah, why, why is that sort of that, uh, those communities important to you and, and I guess to your work? They, they give me life mm -hmm. and they give lots of people life and I think there's a particular language and motif that comes from these spaces and that, you know, it's funny when you take the work overseas and people, once you present it within the context of these clubbing practices and you see how actually so many of these motifs and types of aesthetic languages and sonic spaces come from these spaces, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it doesn't can't exist from a vacuum. Yeah. Um, I've been running Monster Gras for the last 10 years with my partner, Matt Steg and Penelope Benton, who says a space in Sydney called the Red Rattler Theatre. It's like, you know, Sydney's changing like Melbourne and yeah. um, it's, it's pretty difficult to find spaces to work in. And 10 years ago, a group of six queer women bought a warehouse in Marrickville and it's now owned by the community and it's the only space we do everything in actually. So mm -hmm. we've been running a event called Monster Gras, um, which has kind of outgrown the space, but we stay there because you it's, jam it in. <laughs> it, it's, it's the magic is there. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing that. Um, and then Club Arte with Benji, so we do it's pretty sporadic now, but we started off the Rattler doing, we both of, um, are both our matrilineal lines are in the Philippines. And five years ago, we were really interested in creating a platform for um, mostly like Asia Pacific queer performance art. Um, and a lot of stuff's come from that space. Mm -hmm. So it started off as a fundraiser for um, Typhoon High and Victims. And then it kind of evolved into like a, making films and doing, and now we get invited to do all these big institutional things, but that, it's strange. <laughs> yeah, I remember for last Asia Topa, um, we, there was, we presented mm. Ex Lung and mm. presented a club arte in yep. Acme. Yeah. So that kind of, totally. Bring the institutional kind mm. of collaborations. Not strange, but like, I think it's so important to retain the spaces that are mm. DIY because that's mm -hmm. where the magic needs to happen to then do the other things, yep. Um, and I guess, particularly, I guess, reflecting on Ex Nilalung and um, that part of your practice, I mean, how do you feel that, I guess, broader notions of cultural identity or, in fact, your own cultural identity, you know, is that, uh, I mean, obviously, it's part of your work because it's part of who you are. Do you feel it, you reflect on it strongly in Carrion? You know, how does it sit as an underlying theme? You know... It's funny because I don't, you know, with Club Arte, I'm quite overt with the kind of signs and symbols around being Filipino. But with carrying it, I I like this, I like the ambiguity. Um, I I performed the work in Indonesia in Jakarta, mm. and um, oh, what's her name? I met this very senior performance artist, and she 
she, I think so. Um, and she was like, she really could see how something that feels modern can tap into something so ancient. So the more I research and travel and invest in um, language around my Filipino identity, I can see that the stuff I've been doing is already connected to that. Mm. You know, I've been looking a lot at pageantry and, you know, me and Benji go back a lot and we spend time um, within mostly bakla, queer, trans community. And they're doing that stuff, like they're doing the most wild DIY cabaret theater for the community. And I was like, this is the language we're doing already. You know, like mm. it's kind of like that, that thing you do because you, you're working with what you have. Um, so that's something I'm really drawing from. Um, and the new work is, is heavily invested in Filipino mythology as its foundation. So although I don't necessarily say that in the blurb, it's just mm. kind of like a guiding principle. Mm. Yep. And would you, I guess, would you reflect on the, your broader interests around ritual and ceremony and those kind of concepts? You know, obviously a number of, certainly in my experience, an artist in the Asia Topa program, particularly Southeast Asian artists, are often drawing on those bigger themes because it's part of their daily life. Is that something you see echoing yourself? For sure. I mean, I, mean, I see metaphysics in the nightclub, so it's <laughs> like, I don't always say that it's ritual, but it is. Mm. Um, I think clowning is a ritual. I think cabaret is a ritual. It's all kind of part of it. It's just like the language around how you determine that or um, what are the cultural frameworks. But um, Phasma Hammer definitely feels like that for me. But it's how I can do something contemporary but can connect to still something so ancient. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in what I know you've got couple of new big commissions on the horizon and some big things you're sort of working towards. Can, do you want to talk a little bit about those? What's, what's, <laughs> it's going to be a big few months for you and probably um, a big year. So the National Gallery of Australia in Canberra, um, they do this event called Enlighten and they, it's like all the government buildings in Canberra and they project on the buildings for a week and they've invited Club Arte as the next commission so that will premiere God, they're editing it right now. It's kind of like the vivid of Canberra. <laughs> um, How thrilling or terrifying, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's in, we've had a lot of issues around, um, this is gossip. Um, <laughs> Excellent, we got to that point already. Great. <laughs> Queer bodies in public spaces. Um, what, what's safe to put on a building? Or like mm. ideas around safety. Yeah. We, I mean, I, I'll get in trouble saying this, but it's like... I don't think this is being <laughs> recorded, I assume. Well, maybe it is, but anyway. Um, but they've, they ha there's an approval process. Yeah. Um, Working with institutions, perhaps, yep. the complexity of that. Um, but particularly around trans bodies, there was a lot yeah. of, like, stuff to work on. They need to work on, actually. Yeah. Um, but that... The exciting thing about this event is we do a live showcase as well, and we're working with... There's like 150 performers wow. um, and groups. Like all from Canberra? And so between of... Canberra and Sydney. Wow. And we'll do a parade down the street, which ends in a showcase. Um, so that's the week after Monster Gras. Monster Gras is the thing I do every year, the um, alternative queer pride. And um, apart from that, I'm working on a new body of work called AE, 
which is kind of the sequel to Carrion, but it's a whole new cosmology of figures. Um, the first episode will premiere in Texas in April at this festival called Fusebox Festival. But I'm, kind of, I'm just like running. <laughs> and it's actually been a really good moment to go, okay, how do I, you know, there's, a, there's this kind of particular interest in the work, but it's like you really have to protect the process and you have to protect your time so that the work is good. Because mm. if you don't do that, um, I think good work takes time. So, yeah. yeah, I had a slight meltdown last week. <laughs> <laughs> I hope out of that came positive. Oh, positive definitely. It, you have to kind of melt down you, to kind of come back to, up, right? It makes you realise why you make art. Yeah. Yeah, you have to remember that. Yeah. That's something I'm navigating at the moment. So, because I think if it loses the magic, then it's like, yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> But I, to, today they signed it off <laughs> um, and we didn't have to make any edits. It's a pretty, um, this particular work, I'm surprised it's been approved because it's, it's quite overt in its criticality of um, the institution, so we'll see. Um, I'm trying to think of... But the thing is, most other things we get invited to, people really understand what we do, so it's kind of, I haven't had to, um, all the work's already made, so I don't have to kind of change it. Um, I've learned a lot about trying to transpose a club environment in an institution doesn't work, and I just have to acknowledge the space I'm in and work within that. That's been a good lesson, actually. The first question that came from the audience was, could you talk a bit about what your work looks and sounds like in a club environment? Because I've only ever seen it in an institutional context. Well, imagine it's 1am <laughs> and people might be a little bit stimulated by different things and you've been dancing to techno for a couple of hours, maybe it's later than that. So you're already in this kind of altered state. Um, and then you hear the Dolby surround system. <laughs> it goes, um, and suddenly this uh, this kind of apparition appears on the stage that you didn't expect, um, and it's miming uh, Lana Del Rey or um, what am I doing at the moment? I've, I've got a Whitney sample at the moment. Um, I. I like to play with the convention of club performance, but twist it. So I give people what they think, they're gonna get a drag show, and then I, I completely give them, I don't know, I take that away and I give them the horror, the, the kind of body weather or like, um, and I've got all these strategies around um, sonic spaces or like binaural sounds or like, it's like, it's almost like I'm manipulating you a little bit. <laughs> Um, and judging by the way that people look at me, like, <laughs> <laughs> or look past you. <laughs> um, it's like a transformative experience sometimes. <laughs> but um, it's shorter, so often I, I just work with a shorter duration and it's much more, it has to be really punchy, like really, um, 
Yeah, but actually what I'm doing here on Thursday, there's a really significant club scene section where you'll get that kind of language in there. Um, yeah. Mm. The second question was phrased, whenever I've seen your work, I think about animals, but in particular birds. But I've never really thought about the movement of birds until I'd seen your work. You talk tonight about the human element, but how much do you think about animals and how do birds in particular influence your work? Yeah, definitely pretty central. Um, I think like if I was to reflect on the majority of the practice, that like 80% is pretty focused on um, the non-human. So whether it's uh, flora or fauna, um, I think if, I mean, this is pretty broad, but like to look at the function of uh, the mask within the, the space of like, okay, I think I go back to like one of my formative experiences of performance was in primary school. And I was, it was the, um, this is in Kalani Heights in Sydney. And they had, it was Chinese New Year and there was the dragon parade at school. Um, and I was f fucking terrified because it was so alive, um, this, the way they puppeted this being. Um, and I'm, I am certain and that's why I do what I do today because it was such a transformative experience for me. Um, I think the main intention in my work is to think beyond the human. So it's about how we position ourselves within a greater ecology. My strategies might be around spectacle or humor or camp or horror or longing or sadness but essentially they're all it is all about the environment and how we place ourselves within a greater how we dis, often decenter ourselves um i don't know if i'm always successful with that but the relationship to birds in particular came because i was having a very particular bonding um experience um and the new work is there's no human at all. And that's maybe how I see the future. <laughs> is that the Phasmahama, um, um, I guess, evolution as well? Um, yeah, for sure. I, I, I don't try to overthink. I just see wherever I'm drawn to at the time. Yeah. The third question from the audience was, can you tell us a little bit more about the body where the technique? And some of your movements are so particular. How do you come to those in your works? So I think the movement language is a kind of meeting of multiple ways of uh, and approaches, like in the very early days. So like I have, I'd make a costume out of plastic bags and cable ties and mesh, and um, I'd put it on and I'd be like, oh, what can I do? <laughs> like this, like, and then I'd discover that the headpiece, if I move it slowly this way, or if I move my arm like this way, it creates a certain feeling or like every every figure within the kind of universe of Phasmahama has its own kind of gestural language. Some The early ones are very dependent on more kind of formalist approach. So it's like, if there's a panel like this and I twist it like this, it creates this shape, you know, that kind of thing. Um, the body weather training, so body weather stems from the Mintanaka school in Japan, but it's kind of the body weather that um, is taught by Vikant, also draws on her Mori ancestry, and it's it's a very kind of open research-based 
way that anyone, even if you're not a dancer, can can enter in an, into choreography. So you you do a processes around emptying your body, and it's a very imaginative based practice. So you, so you say I have a stimulation, and it's like, oh, there's electricity in this fingertip. How would that move? But there's no right or wrong. <laughs> so with Carrion, there's like maybe every scene has like 20 images that I know that I can hit. So there's like a, a stammering frog or like a um, inverted uh, gecko or something like that. And that's how I imagine it. Um, and then another approach for me is the lip sync and the drag and the kind of more cabaret-based languages. So I kind of mix them all together and that's where what you've got today. Yeah. <laughs> And if you had a more formal choreographic dance training on top of that as another layer? Mostly through body weather. Yeah. But, um, gosh, I feel like I'm a mess, you know? Like, um, <laughs> but I've had really good responses and I think the work works because it just comes from me mm. and it's just like me learning and working things out along the way, you know? And it's like, oh, I'll test this out or... And then I'll get someone to help me with this thing or... I think it's even with the costume-based practice, I think because I didn't have any formal training around that, mm. it's just found some interesting pathways. So yeah. I think that it's good to just give it a go. <laughs> and be organic and responsive, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I, have, I have one more question, um, which is about... Um, I think it was I watched a video interview um, and you talked about particularly when thinking through the creation of worlds, that your um, gaming has always been, in, you know, your interest in gaming, um, that has been part of uh, your, I guess, inspirational creative process. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Because we've seen that, um, that mm. is echoed quite a bit in this, yeah, in for this sure. exhibition. I think, I mean, maybe I haven't spent, it's maybe more about world making, yeah, so, world making. I mean, I had a PlayStation and I did stuff like that, but really, Oh gosh, I think when I was trying to link it to the show, it was like how ever since I've a, I was a kid, I've been creating worlds, whether it be in my bedroom or on the mm. computer or on mm. Photoshop. Actually, I, I've been doing Photoshop for so long. Yeah. <laughs> actually, one of my other jobs was like um, a retoucher. And I used to, that's actually the reason I started performing because I was, um, so I did digital media and then I went and I had this full-time job as like a, like, you know, Erasing yeah. the pores off people's faces yeah. for like 10 hours a day in a dark room. I kind of want to have a whole conversation about that, actually. <laughs> and I'd, I'd do things like, oh, I'm going to add a mole, actually. Yeah. Subvert it. That's it. <laughs> a tummy roll right there. It's bad. Yeah. Um, but as a response to that, I was clubbing more and I went out and I just need to be in my body. Mm. Um, but I think that image-making practice and that kind of collaging way of yeah. thinking is something also altering bodies. I mean, the, there's that kind of key image from Karina, as something that I collaboratively worked on with my friend Tristan. Um, so those kind of digital technologies still make. Yeah. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm, be, I'm being invited more as an image maker as well into gallery spaces, so... Do you mean static images, like mm -hmm. on walls images? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's also a good way to sell things. Yeah. <laughs> Smart move. <laughs> like, how do you survive as a performer? Yeah. Um, so, 
that's another strategy for how I disseminate the body of work. Yeah. Fourth question from the audience was, I was going to ask about financials. Performance art seems challenging because you can't seem to sell it. How do you sell your work? I think I've just started doing that again. So I, I had an old print that I was selling as part of a fundraiser and um, it was really popular. So I was like, oh, I should do that again. <laughs> but um, the more, it's like I'm finding strategies for um, when I get invited to things to create bodies of work that can exist in multiple ways. Mm. And it's kind of like how to create a sustainable practice as well. Um, it's like the video works, Ex Nilalong have had such an amazing life. Yeah, um, I, have. I know that the economics of arts is, I'm not afraid to talk about it because it's like, <laughs> I have a, I like, I'm like, um, many fingers, many pies. Yeah. yeah. And I think it also enables you to, mm. you know, to broaden your audience. I mean, it's yeah. great that, no, totally. you know, a work that if you're not going into the yeah. clubs at 1am, you can see in a theatre. Mm. I mean, I think that's, that's fantastic. Or you can see in, a, totally. in an exhibition or you might be able to see in a book as, a, as an image that's a, it's yeah. a you know, it's, it's... I performed in malls. I've done all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think if there's no more burning questions, yeah, I think we might we might leave it there. Thank you so much. But it's just such a pleasure um, to be able to have this conversation. Um, I always enjoy your work so much, and I think it's just fantastic that um, we'll be able to see it in the gallery, yeah. in performance, um, perhaps at 1am when next time we're um, yeah, totally. dropping past. <laughs> Probably not me. Um, but yeah, and it's just a pleasure to have you here and a pleasure to have you as yep. part of Asia Topa. Thank, thank you so very thank much. You. And thank you for coming.